from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to a special edition of Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Today we take our traditionally wide-ranging view of Gator Nation and narrow the focus onto one individual as we give you a proper introduction to new athletic director Scott Strickland. The 46-year-old native of Jackson, Mississippi, was officially named Florida's 14th athletic director on September 27th and began his tenure on November 1st. Now that he has started to settle into his new role, we wanted to find out more about his background and experiences that led him to this point. So we sat down for an extensive interview covering his past, present, and future here at the University of Florida. First, thank you so much for being here and, and welcome to Gainesville. Thank you, Adam. I, uh, it's been This is my seventh week and it's been a lot of fun kind of uh, getting my feet on the ground and meeting a lot of people who love the Gators. I want to start by going all the way back to the beginning. If you can just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your family and, and what your parents did oh, growing wow. up. Uh, well, I, I grew up and uh, was born in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, my parents are originally from eastern Kentucky, but swung through Jacksonville for a short period of time, ended up in Mississippi before I was born. My dad was a uh, sales representative for Hush Puppy Shoes. So literally, mm. he traveled the states of Louisiana and Mississippi, you know, carrying samples and selling to, to retail outlets, hoping they'd buy a bunch of shoes. And he sold enough of them that, that we were able to have a nice life. Um, my, uh, my mom stayed at home. They had three kids. I have an older brother. Um, I'm the middle child, and I have a younger sister. My brother is a pilot for Delta, who's been flying for them for about 20 years. And uh, he was in the Air Force before that. And then um, my sister is... Uh, is a pharmaceutical rep, and uh, they both have families of their own, and they have stayed in uh, Mississippi there. And um, I'm the I'm the one who's kind of branched out a little bit. So I guess growing up, you had a you had good shoes all the time. You always had good fashion. <laughs> you know what? I never wore hush puppies. You never wore hush they, puppies. They, uh, no, I was always hitting my dad up to go get a pair of Nikes for me. <laughs> I want to talk about your background in sports. Growing up, were you a big athlete? Were you an observer? What's your own personal background in sports? You know, I was eat up with it like a lot of kids of my generation were. You didn't have all the sports channels we had today. Mm -hmm. uh, I can remember I was a teenager when we got ESPN. So, you know, back then you may get one or two baseball games a week or, you know, you have the Sunday football NFL games. You might have Monday night and that was it. You didn't have the Thursday night. You didn't have Sunday ticket where you could watch all the mm -hmm. games. One of the biggest things every week was watching Howard Cosell do the, the halftime highlights on Monday night where they do highlights from all the previous day's game is really one of the few chances you had to see all the right. highlights. <laughs> and then obviously college football. Growing up in, in Mississippi, the SEC is a huge deal. And I, I love playing it, you know, in the backyard and uh, played it through junior high. In high school, I didn't play as much. Uh, I did uh, I did some track my senior year of high school, but I was around it. I was a sports editor of my high school paper, and uh, I guess I started figuring out in high school that I wasn't going to make it as an athlete. I was going to have to figure out another way, but I, I was pretty passionate about it. So there aren't any pro teams in Mississippi or major pro teams, so was it just college football and college sports for you, or did you – did you latch on to, to some other team from some other area? You know, I had – they're still my favorite pro teams. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. I mentioned my, my parents are from eastern Kentucky, and so mm -hmm. that's kind of the team up there. And so we would go visit, and I just kind of latched on to the Reds. When I was growing up, you had the big red machine, right? So they mm -hmm. were really good. And then they got really bad, and I kind of uh, got stuck with them. And uh, also in Mississippi, the Saints are the, the big NFL team. And actually, Archie Manning was quarterback of the Saints when I was a kid. And 
we got their games every Sunday and Archie's a Mississippian. And so there was a, a connection, a tie in there. So uh, I'm a Saints fan, a Reds fan, but by far the SEC, Mississippi State and Ole Miss dominated the attention in that state and still still do to this day. And there's a captive audience for those two schools. They don't have near the population base that, that we have here in Florida, but mm-hmm. those two schools, everything they do in every sport, people follow in Mississippi. So at a point, I think some people have a, a moment, an epiphany maybe, where they realize, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to pursue a career in sports. Did you have a, an aha moment like that, or did it happen gradually? Like I said, I figured out in high school that working somehow on the business side is going to be my path. And so actually, my, I'd figured out that there was something called sports information. And uh, I was, you know, since I had written in, for the high school paper, I thought I might have some, some ability in that area. So my first day as a freshman at Mississippi State, I walked into the athletic department and into the sports information office and volunteered to help. And uh, at that time, they had a very small office. They had like two full-time people, a GA, and a couple students. And so I fit the qualifications for the job in that I had a pulse. You know, they were just yeah. looking for, for warm bodies. <laughs> and I started doing that my freshman year, and I literally did that every day my entire undergrad. Uh, I, was a, I was a student worker. And so somewhere in the spring of my freshman year, I'd gone, and I'd gotten a chance to volunteer at the SEC basketball tournament. That year it was in Knoxville. I got this all-access pass, and I got to see everything from the inside, and I just thought that was really cool. And I, I came back from that, and I remember asking uh, one of our full-time guys, how do you, how do you get a job doing this? Because I noticed there's a lot of full-time people from other schools. Mm-hmm. He said, basically, you need a degree, and you need to make a good impression on somebody along the way so that they will hire you once you have that degree. And so that became my goal was I'm going to stay in business, get a marketing degree. If this athletic thing doesn't work out, That'll give me some flexibility. A business degree sure. will give me some flexibility. And so, um, but I'm going to get it in four years, and then I'm going to try to meet everybody who comes on this campus from another school or from a media entity. Or if I ever had a chance to travel, I'm going to do the same. And I'm going to, you know, network and make connections. And it just so happened because we had such a small staff and we had a very high profile college baseball team there at Mississippi State. Um, in fact, my freshman year, they spent nearly the whole year number one team in the country. And the two full-time guys who did football, men's basketball, the last thing they wanted to do was go travel on the road with the baseball team in the spring. And so by my sophomore year, I convinced them, let me be the PR contact for the baseball team. And so my last three years of college, I got to go on every trip with them and got around the SEC and got to meet a lot of people. And through that, I uh, actually, I got a, a job when I graduated. Actually, Mississippi State hired me an entry-level position. I did that for one year after I graduated. But then through those connections I made working with the, the baseball team at Mississippi State, I had met the people at Auburn, and they had an opening. And that was a year after I graduated and got a full-time job there at Auburn. And, and that was kind of kind of began the you know my, my path, if you will, mm-hmm. getting out and kind of learning about this business. I want to go back to your path in a second, but I'm curious – when you're coming through Mississippi State and you're there at the, the ground level working your way up, what was the biggest influence on you? I mean, and would you say something there was the biggest influence on your career, or was it somebody later in, in the process? You know, there's there's so many people. I could, Florida's the sixth and hopefully final school I, I've wow. worked at. There's really influential people you meet all along the way. If I had to pinpoint uh, one thing that kind of set me on a different trajectory, which has got me out of communications media relations and and into more administration it was it was the time I worked at Kentucky for Mitch Barnhart who's still the athletic director there Uh, I had been at Baylor Mitch hired me and he had put together just a really talented staff of young guys and women 
And today, there's four or five of us from that staff who are Division One athletic directors. And so it was just a bunch of young guys. And I remember walking in the room the first time, and there's Rob Mullins, who is our deputy AD. He's now the AD at Oregon. And Greg Byrne was our fundraiser. Greg's now the AD at Arizona, and I worked with him at Mississippi State. Greg left, and Mark Coyle came in. Mark is the fundraiser. Mark is now the AD at Minnesota. And I just remember sitting in that room, and I would learn something every day. And it mm-hmm. was just I was being exposed. Even though I was still in communications, I was being exposed to a different level of, of talent and that was probably the most influential and it, it was is when I realized I'm, uh, I might have an opportunity to branch out into overall administration. So everybody has an entry point. Yours was media relations. I guess my question would be how did that affect your view of administration? Like how did that impact your leadership coming from that background? Well obviously in uh, media relations you are kind of at the uh, the nexus of what's going on inside the department and what the perception of that is outside mm. the department, because you're the face, the outward face in a lot of ways in dealing with the media and the public. But you also have to build trust and respect within the department in order to be credible to those you're dealing with and talking to outside the department. Mm-hmm. And so really, I, th- I think it was a, a, a great training ground. And, you know, I, I get asked that question, boy, there aren't many ADs that come up through media relations. And I think it's it's a shame because especially in this day and age when communication is really important for this role, you know, media relations guys, I mentioned I travel with the, the baseball team. I've traveled with every sport you can imagine mm-hmm. at some point in my career, women's basketball, men's basketball, football, you name it. And a lot of my peers who are athletic directors, they came up through fundraising. And, and that's great. And there's a lot of obviously a lot of things that prepare you. And I've done some of that in my career as well. But they're not traveling with the teams in the same way. And when you travel with the teams, you get to see what your student athletes are going through on a daily basis. You get to understand the challenges the coaches have on a, on a day-to-day basis from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get taken into their confidence a little bit. And it just helps you see things from their point of view. And a lot of leadership is understanding what everybody's ch- trying to accomplish and what their challenges are and how can you help them achieve what they're trying to do. And I think that being in that setting, kind of in, you know, on the buses with the coaches and the athletes, gave me a different perspective that I wouldn't have had if I had just come up through development. And I was fortunate enough that late uh, before I became an athletic director, but while I was associate AD, I did get a chance to do some development. I think that's important too. And when I was transitioning from communications to development, I realized they're very similar jobs in that, you know, you have to build relationships, you have to communicate messages, whether you're dealing with the media or whether you're dealing with donors. And then you sometimes have to have difficult conversations, you know, with Mm -hmm. the media, you may have to say, no, you can't have access or you're going to have to, you know, accept this answer. And obviously with the donor, sometimes you're you're trying to, you know, tell them why they need to uh, support your university and come off some of their money. So there's some similarities there that I think are really helpful, but I really value the fact that I came up through communications. If we go back to the path that you were talking about, because when you get to a, a point like this, there's a lot of steps along the way. So can you talk about the steps that led you here and maybe what you learned along the way at, at each stop? Well, I, I went to Auburn. I was the assistant media relations director, and I, I started off working with women's basketball, but then I transitioned to working with football and baseball. And Auburn's got a great history and tradition, a lot of good programs. I went to College World Series twice with that baseball program and a lot of bowl games. And uh, walked in my office one day. Tommy Bowden had been our offensive coordinator at Tulane. And um, before I tell the story, I'm going to preface it. I, I have, like a lot of young people, I, I applied for jobs that I thought interested me mm-hmm. throughout my career. And it's interesting that every job I applied for on my own, I never even got an interview. I've never gotten an interview when I just applied for a job, mm-hmm. sent the resume in, application, and waited for a callback. Every time I got a job, I got a phone call or somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, there's an opening here. Would you be interested? Mm-hmm. 
And so this is an example of that in that Tommy Bowden had been the office coordinator for his brother, Terry, at Auburn and had gone to Tulane as head coach. And I'm sitting in my office one day, and my boss comes in and says, hey, Tommy needs an assistant AD for media relations. He wants you to send your stuff in. And so a month later, I was 28 years old, and I was assistant athletic director at Tulane. Wow. It ended up being the year Tulane went undefeated in football, went 12-0 and with Sean King. Rich Rodriguez was our offensive coordinator. And uh, I was there for about 15 months and randomly one day got a call out of the blue from a friend of mine at Baylor who said, hey, they get the same opening here. Would you like to, to come to Baylor? I was, uh, I was missing the SEC, and I thought the Big 12 might be kind of close to the SEC. So I went to Baylor and uh, was there for four years and assistant AD for communications and marketing. And then one day got a call from a, a colleague at a Big 12 school who, who knew Mitch Barnhart and said, hey, uh, Kentucky has an opening. Would you have any interest in, in going there? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Going back to the SEC would be awesome. And uh, so that worked out mm-hmm. and uh, spent five years there as assistant AD for communications. And <laughs> I mentioned Greg Byrne worked with us. Greg and I became really good friends. Greg actually got out of the business and resurfaced as the development guy at my alma mater, Mississippi State, just kind of randomly. And two years later, he became athletic director and called me up and said, hey, I want you to work with me and, and help me get this thing going. And so it was just kind of serendipitous. They even ended up back at Mississippi State. And then uh, adding to that serendipity is two years later, Greg left to be the AD at Arizona, and, and I was fortunate enough to mm-hmm. to get promoted uh, there at my, at my alma mater. So there's an old saying that I love that says, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> um, you know, I look back at that path. And I would have written it totally different, and it wouldn't have worked near as well if mm-hmm. I had tried to insert myself in the process. But um, I just, I'm just i very blessed and very fortunate that it's gone the way it had. And uh, I love my six years as AD at Mississippi State. I was there eight years total back there, but six years in that role, uh, really uh, enjoyed being there and, and being back there and, and got a chance to be a part of some really cool things. And, and then this opportunity came about, and it was just one that I couldn't say no to. I saw some interesting, I think it was last week, Tom Herman tweeted out a picture of his old business card that said offensive grad assistant at Texas. It's the same exact card, except now it says head coach. So I wonder for you, had you ever dreamed when you were a student grinding in the media relations office that you would one day be the athletic director at your alma mater? Could you dream that high? I have been told by classmates that I said that that was a goal of mine when when I became an adult. No, I didn't sit there and think that because I think you realize once you get in this business, uh, in this career, that you have to get really lucky mm-hmm. and these opportunities are really rare. And there's really talented people who never get these opportunities. People who are talented, more talented than me that just for whatever reason, timing and luck, haven't gotten the opportunity to, to run a, a department. And so I think I was precocious enough in my college days to think, yeah, I want to do this. But I think as I got older, I realized that you have to get really lucky and things worked out in a way that I did get lucky. So this opportunity comes about, I imagine you probably didn't think you'd leave Mississippi State. Did, did you think that was your final destination, and, and what did it take to pique your interest elsewhere? You know, I was, uh, as you know, went down that little path, that journey I talked about, I was moving every four or five years, and I was 38 when I went back to Mississippi State as an associate AD, and I don't know that I thought I was going to be there long term, and then once I became AD, I was 40 years old. And again, I just, I could have been there 20 years and been really happy and felt fortunate. But in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, 20 years is a long time. What Jeremy did here for 25 years is really unusual in this Mm -hmm. day and age. And uh, if you can make it 10, 15 years at a place um, in in today's climate, 
uh, that's pretty good. And so I, in the back of my mind, I thought, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to be here 20 years. Uh, and then I'd been in that role for three years, and, and I had a, a headhunter call me about a Power 5 job, a really good job, probably one of the top 20 jobs in the country, and asked if I would be interested. And it wasn't in the SEC. And uh, my first thought was I was flattered. But the second thought was, you know what, I, I, want to be in, I don't want to not be in the SEC. I've been in this league. I grew up following this league. I've been at three different schools in this league. I've been outside the SEC. And when I was outside the SEC, I couldn't wait to get back into <laughs> it. Why would I want to do that again? And so it, just, it got me thinking about, okay, where would you go? You know, who could call you that you would want to leave Mississippi State for? Who would and, make you the, the godfather offer that you couldn't refuse? Yeah, and candidly, there were there were two schools that came to mind, and Florida was one of them. And in hindsight, I don't I don't know that that I'd have done the other, having gone through mm-hmm. and how hard it was to leave Mississippi State. And I wasn't looking to leave, but it just this opportunity was so so cool and so unique. And and, and a lot of that is because having been in this league for a long time, I know how people outside of Florida view the University of Florida. And because I was one of those guys, I, I looked, I admired what Jeremy had done. I admired the success. I admired the way they'd gone about the success. Um, a lot of schools in this league consciously or subconsciously, I think, try to emulate what Florida does and how Florida does things. And, and I just knew it was a leadership position. It was in the SEC, the best conference in the country, in a state with a lot of resources. And there's just a lot of opportunities to do really special things here. And these kind of jobs and, and these kind of opportunities don't come along very often. You, mm-hmm. I mean, being an AD, you got to have some luck. But then to be an athletic director at a place like Florida, that is, that's really unique and special. And I, I remember having a conversation with Mitch Barnhart from Kentucky during this process, and I confided with Mitch on a lot of this stuff. And and because uh, every now and then I'd have the the pull of home saying, you know, Mitch, I don't I don't know that I can do this. And he says he he would tell me, Scott. There are guys in this business who never get this opportunity. You, you've got to do it. And he was right. And uh, I appreciate that counsel because I've, like I've mentioned, I've been here you know, going on seven weeks. And every day I wake up, I, I realize how fortunate and lucky I am to have this opportunity. When you look back over your tenure at Mississippi State, what are you most proud of that you accomplished? And how does that maybe influence what you'd like to achieve here? Well, they're, they're two totally different situations. Uh, when we got to Mississippi State, and I say we, when Greg became AD and he brought me in, uh, we kind of started down a path of trying to build confidence in a, in a fan base that, that really didn't have a lot of confidence, mm-hmm. didn't have a great history of success. We had had periods where we might have popped up and had some really cool things happen, but we had never been able to sustain it. And so our goal became uh, we have got to get our fans engaged in a way where they have some confidence, not cockiness, but confidence and belief that good things will happen, and we need to win consistently. And so how do we how do we do that? And so we focused on uh, the experience for the fan base. You know, we listened to them. We made their voice. We used social media to let them know we heard them. Um, we took steps from a facility standpoint to upgrade and impact some things that directly affect the fans. Uh, and at the same time, we were investing in some things that impacted our coaches and our student athletes to try to help on the success side. And, and we went out and we hired some coaches that started making a difference. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Dan Mullen, obviously, and football side's done a phenomenal job there at Mississippi State. And, uh, you know, they're going to their seventh straight bowl game. They'd never been to more than three in a row oh, in wow. their history of their school. Mm. And now they've been to seven straight. And, that, again, that's building consistent success. Um, I'm a big believer that before you can be a champion, you've got to be consistently good. Very rarely does a, does a bad team pop up on a championship. 
uh, it's the teams that are good year in, year out, that have a chance to win championships typically. And so that's why it's really important that we're consistently good. That's what we have here at Florida. We're consistently good. And that gives us a chance to be great. So I think kind of changing that mindset and giving a, and belief and investing in some things that impact the experience for the fans and for the student athletes, I'm really proud. And there's some, there's some specific examples of some things we did in social media and some facility things we did at the stadium. And, um, you know, the cowbell's a big deal there. When we, <laughs> when we got there, the cowbells were outlawed. And we, you know, that would be like uh, telling Gator fans they can't do the chomp. And, and so you must to, have more cowbells. Yeah, so to, to kind of figure out a way that is acceptable to the other league members but allows it not to be contraband, that was something I was really proud of. And then not only to, to get that passed within the league, but then to convince our fans we're going to have to police ourselves and monitor this. We can only ring at certain times. And for them to buy into that, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, if you can get mm-hmm. something important enough to a group of fans that they're all willing to, to do it in unison – um, those are some things that, that I'm really proud of. And, and so you transfer, okay, what do, you, what do I see when you come to Florida? We're starting from a different place because of the great work that Jeremy and all the coaches who have come before here have done. But I still think there's opportunities where uh, the fan engagement piece is concerned. And that's not meant as a criticism. That's just I think there's always opportunity there to because to you got to constantly listen. Uh, what we do and what I really like about these jobs is they're relationship-based. The relationship – is such an important part of what we do. And it's and it's not just relationship between the AD and the coach or the AD and the student athlete or AD and staff or big donors, whatever. It's everybody who cares about the university needs to feel like there's a relational component to it. Mm-hmm. And one of my frustrations, having only been here seven weeks, is it takes time to build those relationships. And I want it now, you know. <laughs> and it's just going to take me a time to get around campus, to get around the department, to get around the state, to all the Gator clubs, and, and meet people and hear what's important to them and figure out ways that we can make their experience of being a Florida Gator even better. And, again, that's not uh, – I want to reiterate, that doesn't mean it's not been great to begin with. But I just – I like the idea of how do you push it forward. I know you have a, a long-standing relationship with Jeremy and a great respect for Jeremy. So when you take over a program that he's run for 25 years, and as you noted, made it you know, the, one of the crown jewels in college athletics, what's the balance between maintaining the successful infrastructure that he built but also putting your own stamp on it? Is that, is that a difficult balance to, to achieve? You know, I don't look at it. I understand the question. I don't really look at it from, a, you know, what part of Jeremy's stuff do we keep and what part do we move away from? I look at it, well, number one, there's a great structure in place and, and a great staff and a lot of the things that um, from an integrity standpoint that, that you want are already here. But every day you wake up, the world has, has taken another turn on its axis and things have changed. And so I don't worry about what are we going to change staff-wise. It's what's going on around us and what, how do we need to adapt and mm-hmm. how do we meet, need to move forward because what we did – 10 years ago wasn't good enough five years later, and what happened five years ago is not good enough today, and, and that's going to keep going. And so, you know, I think Jeremy and I have very similar philosophies in a lot of ways, but I think we're different personalities, and we have different strengths, and I look at things a little bit differently than he does. I can tell you that there was a lot of times when I was at Mississippi State, I'd pick up the phone and I'd say, hey, Jeremy, I'm dealing with this issue. What advice would you have? I doesn't mean I always followed his advice, but I always valued his input because I, how much I respect him and his intellect and his leadership. And so uh, the great thing now is I don't have to make a phone call. I can, I can find him here on campus and I can say, hey, this is the situation I'm dealing with. What, what background do you have, historical perspective do you have? 
and what advice do you have? Now, that doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm going to follow his advice, mm-hmm. but it's a great resource and a great tool to have. And, and I think the Gators are going to be the beneficiary of that because we still have access to a guy with his insights. You're part of a kind of new age of ADs who've embraced social media and ways to directly communicate with fans. I'm curious, what have you found to be the pros of social media and Twitter? And then where are some of the, the drawbacks as well? You know, when you use social media, you're you're really engaged at a high level, and there's there's good and bad with that, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, the my friend Greg Burns says the great thing about college athletics is the passion of the fans, and the bad thing about college athletics is the passion <laughs> of the fans. So that's you know that's kind of uh, you take the good with the bad. I would much rather be at a place where the fans are passionate than where they aren't. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when they're passionate, that manifests itself in ways that that you can hear some negative stuff that you just assume not here. So you got to have a thick skin, and that's part of it. You know, they used to write letters. And it would take them two or three days to get to you, and now they and, – and they might take a little bit longer to compose, so they might have a chance right. to kind of calm down before they, right. they drop it in the mail. Now they don't, they don't have to take very long to compose the tweet or send the email, and it's instantaneous. So part of the world we live in, but I, I, I think the benefit goes back to that relational aspect. You know, there's a connection there that social media gives you that you might not have otherwise, and – it allows fans to kind of see or understand your personality or maybe the way you think or you view things. And I think ADs who or leaders in general who are active on Twitter or social media, uh, I think while it may not all be positive, I think you benefit from your willingness to engage with the people you're leading. Spending so much time in Mississippi, growing up in Mississippi and having your family there, what's the transition been like for you and your family now being in Gainesville? Well, I am still uh, riding solo here. My immediate family, (laughs) i got my wife, Ann, and my two daughters, Abby and Sophie. Uh, They're both teenagers, uh, one in high school, one in junior high. They're going to probably finish up the school year and then come. So I have really enjoyed my time here and and uh got a chance to to get out and enjoy some great restaurants and explore and discover the community and i love college towns in general and i had been to i think i counted up i had been to gainesville 14 or 15 times with other schools so i kind of had a a general sense but obviously when you live here every day you you get a totally new appreciation for what a cool place this is for how vibrant this campus community is and you know i had had dinner last night with some people from uf health and you know just there's some really really cool, talented people that live in this community, and you don't get that everywhere. And I, I'm looking forward to when my family is here, late spring, uh, and us kind of all starting our life here together. But uh, what a great spot. I know there's a lot of things you can do around here outdoors, especially I'm curious, when you have some free time, though there's not a lot of it, I imagine, what do you like to do? What are some of your hobbies? Uh, I've done a couple marathons. I don't have any, I don't know if I have another one in me, but I've, you know, I like to stay active there. You know, I like music. I like books. Um I don't watch near as much TV as I, as I once did. Um, and uh, it's got to be a, a sporting event I really care about to go home and watch it on TV. So it's got to be the Gators or a coach or, or a team I know somebody on. I, I'm not just going to turn on TV and watch anything from a sports-related standpoint just because I've, I get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't mean I'm any less passionate about it, but it just uh, I try to pace myself there. But if there's a good SEC game on, I'm going to watch that. So, But I am you know I enjoy spending time with my family and – and uh, there's a lot of go, go, go time, so I kind of like some quiet time when I get away and get, get to the house. What are you listening to when you're going to and from the office? Oh. Favorite music? Um, you know, I'm pretty eclectic in some ways. You know, I like Van Morrison. Uh, I, I know people think I'm playing to the crowd here. I like Tom Petty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> playing, to the crowd, playing across the street, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, I'm into some Stephen Curtis Chapman and, and some guys in, in the worship music industry. Um, Jack Johnson, you know, Jimmy Buffett, I, like, you know, Frank Sinatra. 
Um, lots of chill. Lots of yeah. Lots I like I like back. some I like Springsteen. I mean, I, you know, John Cougar Mellencamp, guys from my generation, mm-hmm. Billy Joel. So I just I'm kind of uh, I like good music, right? Talented people, and I like lyrics I can understand. <laughs> uh, Tom Petty sometimes is a challenge on that, but uh, no, I a uh, little bit of everything depends on the mood. Final thing for you before we wrap up here. I always like to ask athletes this, so I figure I should give you the, the same courtesy. What's something unique about you that people wouldn't expect? Because you're, you're oh, in a, a sports realm, so what's something that would show a different side of you that, that would catch people by surprise? Oh, gosh. I need some time to think about that. Um, I love history. If I'm going to read a book, I like to read something that actually happened. I'm not big into fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've had a chance to see the Hamilton musical. And, oh, wow. And so I came from that, you know, and I had no idea what to expect. I didn't really know it was going to be a hip-hop show. Said so it doesn't sound like that music fell into no, your... No, but uh, it's on my playlist now, right? So I can, <laughs> I can, uh, I know all those songs, and, and uh, it's really some, that stuff gets stuck in your head. Mm. But, you know, after I saw that musical, I went out and I got the source book from, by Ron Chernow, which is a really hefty biography of Alexander Hamilton. And so I, I just, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I enjoy reading about things that really happened and probably focus more on on leadership and process type stories. I love those stories where there's a, a big trade that goes down or mm-hmm. and somebody goes and writes the backstory of how it happened in, in pro sports or something. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, or hiring processes and they give you the backstory. I think that kind of stuff is fascinating. And part of that probably is because I can, that's information I, I think, you know, one day I can use and I, I can help make me better. But uh, I'm, I'm big into the history stuff. Well, Scott, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And again, uh, welcome to Gator Nation. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Go Gators.